Salutations. My name is Justin Lohr. And I'm Liam O'Donnell or whatever. <laughs> and you are listening to episode The Best Count Me Out LP of Horror Business. 110? Yes. Better than permanent. All right. All right. I'm, I'm glad you're not one of those people. One of which people? The people who think permanent is like amazing. Bro, I don't, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. God damn it! Look, I'm willing to admit that when it comes to uh, 2000s post American Nightmare core, I'm a little, you know, loosey goosey. I don't really know that that as much as I could. Well, they were around before that. Yeah, but no one cared about them till later. Not true. Uh, we did around here. What what you what what would you say is their premiere year? I would the first time I heard Count Me Out. Oh, by the way, we're doing the, <laughs> this is our Hammer Horror episode. We're doing 1971's yeah. Hands of the Ripper and 1970 whatever's Satanic Rights 1973's Satanic Rights of Dracula. I first heard of Count Me Out my junior year of high school in 2000 when a bunch of the homies went up to home base up in Wilkesbury to see Count Me Out. Time flies. I want to say probably Atari, um, probably the movie Life. Okay, okay. So you definitely would put them in your mind, not like post American Nightmare. Well, no, I mean permanent definitely looks very American. You know what I mean? It's got like Marilyn Monroe on the cover, and then like it looks like one of those bands. But I don't know. They were doing their thing before before American Nightmare blew up. Mm, I'm going to just have to accept because that whole time was like a little bit of a blur for me because I wasn't really that into a lot of what was going on. So I don't maybe I'm not the one to say one year one way or the other. You've gone soft, man. Let's or you see. went soft. Background music came out in 2001. Yeah. I well, I mean, I I can say for sure that I didn't even know who Count Me Out was until like two thousand two, two thousand three, and I yeah, to me you... they were just lumped together. Like Count Me Out was like Champion or um, what's the other band I'm thinking of? I don't remember. Um, you know those 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 faster. Faster bands at a time when it felt like not a lot of people were playing faster music. Yeah. So I I just I I had I had the CD that combined the records. You know I had that, but that's it, and I don't remember much of it. Hmm. But you know, if you want me to, I'll go back and give it another another listen, my man. I I would appreciate that. Yeah. I, right. You know what? For you, Justin anything thank you liam thank you <laughs> so all right enough of the fucking core talk 
Let's get down to the nitty gritty. First, let's thank our patrons on Patreon. Without you, this would be possible, but it would be unpleasant. <laughs> That's for sure. Yes. So we are eternally grateful to you, those people out there who see and hear what we have to say, and you think that we deserve your hard-earned money, or maybe not. I don't know what you do. I don't know how you get your money, but you think we deserve some of that money. We appreciate that. If you're interested in becoming a patron, you can head to www.patreon.com backslash cinepunks. And then, you know, hit, hit smash that MF and subscribe button. This episode is also brought to you by the fine folks at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Now, Liam, if I said to you, uh, redacted, redacted, Kyle Rittenhouse, redacted, redacted. Yeah. If I wanted to get that T-shirt made, where would you suggest I get it made? Well, considering it might put you on some sort of watch list, I would suggest uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. To also uh, get them put on a watch list? Yeah, sure. That sounds good. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, you would find them at xlvacx.com. And, you know, they really offer the highest quality uh, and, and most professional screen printing services while also being personable and fun to work with. Yes. And very reasonably priced. Agreed. So... Like Liam said, www.xlvacx.com. Yes. Who else, who, who else is out there? Uh, we also want to thank our friends over at Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, you guys know Aaron Dahlbeck. You know his bands, whether it's Bane, Be Well, Converge. Uh, you know, my man, he's he's uh, branching out into this coffee venture with, with one real sort of focus, which is how do we get quality coffee to people without – all of the mystery and and uh, uh, elitist challenge of it, where you know quality coffee is something for fancy people who spend time studying barista lore. He just wants to get you good coffee. It's the highest quality beans. It's roasted to order, so you're getting the freshest possible coffee you can get. And they're very responsive. If you got this coffee and you're thinking, well, what do I do now that I get it? What's the best way to, to, to take care of it? They're there to answer your questions. They also have merch and tea, uh, uh, a variety of, of uh, tea blends uh, for you to get as well. If you head on over to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Not only do they have all that for you, but if you enter the code CINEPUNKS, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, at checkout, you're going to get 10% off your order. 10%. 10% off your order. That's what you want. So head on over there, EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Christmas is coming up. Christmas is approaching too fast. Father Christmas is almost here to fucking break into our houses and leave us his wares. I say, fuck that guy, beat him to it, and get your family members some great gifts from Essex Coffee Roasters. I agree. All right. Now, the time has come when it's almost midnight on the 23rd of whatever month <laughs> the fucking Dracula is. And as I'm gathering my bubonic plague bacterium in the saline solution and about to distribute it to my four horsemen to go out and infect the world, I look at my fifth horseman, Liam, and I say, Liam, what have you done recently involving horror? Well, it's been a while since we recorded, so I can legitimately say uh, I traveled across the country to go to the 25-hour horror Justin. This is true. I saw you there. I was there for like a minute. 
Yeah. I what did you see two movies? I feel like you saw two movies. Yeah, I watched uh Quartermass in the Pit and the original director's cut of Tombs of the Blind Dead. Yep. Uh let me just go ahead and say, hey y'all. If you're looking for a huge, long summary where they talk about every single movie, even the ones that yours truly was asleep for, you're going to want to hand over to the Twitch of the Death Nerve podcast. They recorded literally the day uh, that the that it ended. Like They drove home. They left before the last movie. They drove home to Philadelphia. They all took naps. And then that day, on Sunday, they recorded an episode talking about the fest. That's amazing. Um, I, I think their recap is probably great. I will say I'll give you guys some highlights for me, uh, one of which was a little movie called uh, Death Game. Uh, people might know this movie as uh, one that was remade by Eli Roth into the very terrible Knock Knock. Uh, don't hold that against this movie. Um, this was one of the few movies that wasn't on film. It was actually a 4K uh, uh, restoration uh, done by... Uh, Grindhouse releasing and it was beautiful and I had never even heard of this movie I didn't even know that this was the movie that Knock Knock was based off of and it is an amazing film it's in yeah well I shouldn't say insane that's not fair it is unhinged let's put it that way it is uh it pushes all the boundaries it it is at times sexy but then it like turns that on you and like really grosses you out um it's it's really messing with the audience and the expectations of the audience. And I don't know, I just found it to be a really brilliant film, which I wasn't expecting. So I want to lift that up. I also want to uh, lift up. They played uh, the stepfather, which uh, is a movie I love, but I hadn't seen in a long time. I had certainly never seen it in the theater. That's great. Uh, I think it was a, a little controversial for people, the final pick of the frighteners, but I love that movie. I think it's awesome. Uh, and then there was a sort of at a, at a time when you would, you know, be surprised by something. They played a, a Hong Kong uh, uh, horror movie called The Peacock King. Um, and that's a movie that's not very often seen at all, let alone seen on 35 millimeters. So it was kind of an honor to catch it. And I'm really glad I did. I missed some of the beginning, but I saw most of it and it was really great. So, you know, uh, I'd say overall, my review is more about seeing friends and hanging out than it is about the movies. But those were some highlights for me and also just being at the colonial i really i know it's not convenient for everyone but i kind of hope the colonial becomes the permanent venue for things like that because it's bigger the seats are a little bit comfier uh there's not as many food options like right outside the door but if you're willing to walk a little bit down the street there's a lot of like really good restaurants and stuff so like long term i think it's actually better than international house was so I, you know i'm not saying they won't be able to find a different venue that might even be better than this one i that's always a possibility but compared to the international house i really liked it at colonial i liked it as a setting and i was really happy to be there so yeah that was harathon for me um the other thing i saw that i wanted to bring up is i watched a movie that you may have already checked out called jacob's wife Yes, yes, with uh, Barbara Crampton. Yeah, what did you Larry think of that? Yeah, what did you think? Um, I thought it was a little bit rough around the edges, but overall I enjoyed it. I think this might be unfair, but I feel like lately, at least, certainly since, uh, what was it we talked about? The What's the what's the uh, Larry Fessenden 
global warming movie we we reviewed. Uh, the Last Winter. Yeah, I feel like everything he's done since The Last Winter has been a little rougher around the edges than uh, I would necessarily love, and that's how I felt about this one. It felt like a Larry Fessenden movie to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I maybe that's unfair, but that's just it. It it still mostly worked for me. Um, and I love Barbara Crampton, so that kind of carried it a little bit. But yeah, I think if I was looking for, I don't know, something to redefine the vampire genre, this was definitely not that. But I liked it. I'm glad I watched it. So I don't know. Yeah, I think was... I think if you're a big Larry Fessenden or Barbara Crampton fan, you probably would like it. Or Bonnie Aarons fan. Let's not forget. Fair, fair. But that's it for me, man. I I did that. I did my twenty five hours, and I did uh, Jacob's wife, and haven't had much time for anything else specifically horror. Now I'm thinking about if there's any shows or anything. No, I think that's it for me, man. Um. Okay. Well, I uh, I I went to Chiller Theater in uh, Passaic New or Passaic, New Jersey. Sure. I think that's where it was. Sure, we'll go with that. Um, it was fun. Saw some people there. Uh, I briefly attended the Harthon. I saw Antlers, and it broke me as a human being, and I don't ever want to watch that movie again. And uh, I don't know what the this was like. I, I saw Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, how is that? Well, let's back up. You... Even though it was depressing for you, you did like Antlers more than I did, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I liked yeah. it. It was, de- I mean, I was, I rarely do this, but I texted you in the middle of the movie, like, this is bumming me out. <laughs> like, this is, this is really fucking depressing. I mean, it's like, uh, it's like there's so many shots of this poor little kid just wandering the streets, being despondent and fucking sad. And, I don't know. Like, I really think it like towed the line of like too cruel for me. Interesting. Like it got right there. And then like, um, this isn't really a twist because they all but say it in the fucking trailer. When you see who built the locks on the door, I don't know why, but that really bummed me out. Because I think that showed like a, they taught, it was the father, the father fucking did it. Fuck it. I'll just say it. Cause it's not like a big reveal, but like, um, and it makes sense. Like this kid didn't put those <laughs> padlocks on the door. Um, there was something that was like vaguely humanizing about that because they talk about how much of a piece of shit his father was like literally every time they talk about his father, they're talking about how much of a fucking scumbag he is like everyone in this movie. But then you see the scenes when he's, starting to realize that something's wrong and he like takes actions to protect his son. And I don't know why that like really got to me. And then to kind of pervert that like weird paternal tenderness when he goes to take his younger brother up there, cause his younger brother is also now infected and they open the door and the father, they see the father crouched on the ground smelling them from under the door that made my stomach turn. That was such a fucking creepy moment. Um, I agree. But, uh, yeah, I just, I think that that ending with like that, like the, 
like the little kid is like, he's going to get better. And it's like, no, he's not. And I just, I don't know. Like I was just in the theater. Like there was like one other person in there. So I'm glad that they got to listen to me fucking ugly cry and, and, and snuffle in the back of the theater. And I don't give a fuck because I'm a fucking human being and I'm a man and it's okay for me to be in touch with my emotions. I agree. Um, but then the very end of the movie was also like, oh, so everyone's fucked anyway. I don't know. And I will say, I will say that there was a just a touch of the fucking my people say cism, my people's legends. But the fact that they got Graham Greene to be the uh Sure, yeah. I was kind of like, ah yeah, he gets a <laughs> he gets a pass. <laughs> like that well, guy is I in never, fucking I never, everything. I never blame the actor who's doing it. I blame no. the screenwriter. Uh it's it's not as bad. I will say, and I hopefully this came across in my first review of it, it's not as bad as it could be. We've seen far worse examples of that, you know, magical native explaining the legend sort of thing. Um, so it's not that bad, but it just felt like if you're gonna have the setup of the legends and the white people. There's just other directions I think would have been more interesting than what they went with. But, you know, that's maybe maybe I'm being unfair, but that's just how I felt watching it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. Um, with, And then, yeah, other than that, like, I don't know, like Ghostbusters Afterlife. I kind of have like a complicated view of it because like um, that movie would not exist if not for the fucking toxic bullshit backlash against the 2016 version. All this movie was was an attempt to make th- to rectify the wrongs, uh, the perceived wrongs of the 2016 movie, which I wasn't a fan of. But I draw the line there. It just means I didn't I, I, I didn't like it. I don't like it wasn't a, a particularly bad movie. It wasn't like a profoundly bad film. I, I don't look deeper into it and say that it represents anything bad. It just like wasn't my cup of tea. This movie went way too far in the other direction and um, was just two hours of nostalgic jerk off bullshit um, with as many Easter eggs as they could fill, like all little nods, to the original, um, but I still liked it. You know, I, I mean, it was like, it was reflexive and it was manipulative and cynical, but it worked. You know, I, 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 t- I took my niece to go see it and I cried at the end. Um, again, that's what men do. Real men cry. Doesn't it seem uh, unlikely? Maybe you don't feel this way. For me, I already knew some part of it was probably going to be good the moment I saw Paul Rudd. And I was like, well, I don't well, know. Okay. I, might, I might like this. But <laughs> I agree with you that the reason it exists is probably a little bit toxic. Here, Here is the weird paradox of the, of the film when it comes to like nods to the original i think the most interesting thing about the movie was how it built upon the mythos of the original and i don't mean like they didn't explain who the voldrani were they didn't show a large and moving tour they gave us a backstory to a character who was to a like a human MacGuffin in the original one that i thought was like oh that makes sense he had to get that from somewhere and now we're seeing that or yeah fuck it um but I just, it was just like too many beats of like, oh, the key master, the gatekeeper, the fucking flabbity blue, like, uh, and like, um, I, again, even though I was fully aware that I was being jerked around, like, 
what you think happens when that happens at the end, I was just like weeping tears of happiness. And then when they went, some would say a step too far in the, in the sentimentality direction, I just fucking bawling. And I was like, I know I'm being manipulated. I know this is like, this is like, I'm, they're like, they're, I'm, they're pulling my strings right now. But I was like, I just, I don't give a fuck. Like I was just so purely happy watching this, this, this movie. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if you're not a fan of nostalgia, do not see this movie. But if you want to see two hours of, you know, goofy callbacks and, you know, silly, Oh yeah, I remember that part from the first movie when the guy does the thing and he says the thing and then the other thing happens. This is movies right up your fucking alley. Right. I'm I I'm I'm gonna watch it at some point. I don't think I'm gonna go to a theater for it. Yeah, but I'm definitely still gonna watch it because I'm interested in it. Um, yeah, I I feel similar to you about the 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 remake that caused all this kerfuffle. Is like it wasn't great. Uh, I think I liked it more than other people seem to, but uh, you know, it, it, it also wasn't something I wanted to like. I, I've seen people sort of really super praise it, and I don't see what they're seeing. But I do think it's mostly. I I, I think I found it more funny than I guess the general nerd male public seemed to, because people acted like it was like the most horrific thing they'd ever seen, and I'm like, I don't know. It's a modern comedy. It's kind of funny. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, you know? I, I I generally don't like Melissa McCarthy and Kate McKenna, and I thought they were fine in that movie. Like the casting, I thought was was just was cool. The performances were fine. I my problem was with the movie around all that shit. Sure. That I just wasn't in love with. I uh, I will say I'm also one of these people that's like I've seen Ghostbusters a million times. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, I, it's on the list of movies I've seen so many times that you could just put it on any time and it's fine. Um, but it's, you know, I, I don't know why we're pretending that it's Casablanca or something. You know what I mean? Like uh, it, it's fun. It was a fun movie for me as a kid. It's a lot of fun. I, I don't know. I don't know why we're there's, I don't know what we're reaching back to, to try to reclaim other than the realization that Dan Aykroyd is actually an occultist who believed most of the shit in the movie. Oh other yeah. Than Dan, that, a- Dan Aykroyd certified fucking lunatic. Crazy person. Um, also let's not forget that, um, Ghostbusters two isn't good and was just as much of a fucking legacy smear as the 2016 film apparently was. Have you met the people who like it more than the first one? Uh, no, because I don't associate with actual monsters. <laughs> I haven't watched it in a long time, so I don't have an opinion. Um, it's very dated. That's all I can, you know. That's all I can. I mean, say what you will about the original one. At least it doesn't feel. It, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, this one feels like a movie from the late eighties, early nineties. Sure. With all the fucking stupid pop culture references. But, you know, that's that's all that's all I've done. I haven't done anything else. Um, Trying to think, have I done anything else? No, I haven't. No, I haven't done anything else. That's it. That's all I've done. That's good. That's okay. No worries. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) You're feeling a little you feel like you need to do a lot more, huh? I always feel like I need, I could do more. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I will mention I've been trying to keep up with, though, I'm a little uh, not strapped with cash right now, so it's been hard to, but I've been trying to keep up with these expanded uh, Mike Mignola comics, you know? I think they're like... Okay. I think they're they're calling them like Tales from the Outerverse or Tales from I don't know, but it's like a bunch of characters that feel very much like the sorts of characters he would do. There's a a, a supernatural detective. There's a golem and his and his witch friend who fight evil things. There's a a, a reincarnated uh, knight who slays witches. There's a whole like variety of these of these comics that are that are uh, part of the sort of expanded universe and uh uh i i recommend all of them if you can find them um they're not hard to find if you just go to comic shop they're all dark horse uh what i've read so far i've liked a lot so uh big recommend i i, I gotta get back into the magnolia verse just because like after you talked about it last time i was just like just think i have a, a bunch of the, the the books here and i just i forgot how i forgot how easy it is to immerse yourself in that universe and all just the really good characters there are in there. Like, you know, I know he's in the second Hellboy movie, but I don't really think it does. Like, Johan Krauss is yes. such, a, such yes. an amazing character. And then like the real tragedy of like Abe Sapien and, um, I don't, just, there's so many, like so many awesome characters in, uh, in, in, in that, uh, in that universe. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta jump back in and just fucking do it. Yeah. I will, I will say from a collector's point of view, it can be frustrating because a lot of them are in story arcs. So sometimes I don't feel like I know if I have everything like in my mind, I have a full Abe Sapien BPRD Hellboy collection. Right. But in reality, I don't know if that's true or not because they release it's you can't really track it monthly, you know, because there'll be a storyline and then there won't be something for a while. So, um, yeah. And also I'm just bad at keeping track of things. So I don't want to blame the comics as much as it's also my personality, but, uh, I, I do want to eventually feel like I have as much of his work as I can find, you know? Yeah. All right. So I guess we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to talk about the 1971 British horror film directed by Peter says D for hammer film productions. Hands of the Ripper. Hands of the Ripper. We'll be right back. <laughs> Between the 2nd of April, 1888 and September the 17th, 1889, a dreadful fear descended over the streets of London. No one who saw that face lived. Except one small child whom he spared. Because she was his own flesh and blood. There was another murder. They're looking for Jack the Ripper. It's you. The records tell us that the Ripper killed nine times. The curse lived on into a second generation of terror. Damn it, Pritchard. You've got a possessed being in your home. As savage as any wild beast. These are the streets. And these are the women. And this is the girl who inherited the hands that Jack used. And we are back to talk about 1971's British horror film, Hands of the Ripper. 
Um, it's about Anne's of uh, Tim Ripper Owens, the singer who uh, followed Rob Halford in Judas Priest and the things he does with them. Stop. Things he does with his hands. I wish it was. I was not a fan of this movie. What? I'm gonna say that what? Yeah, wasn't oh. a fan. Wasn't oh, a fan. Man. Okay, talk about it. What what bumped you out about the film? Um, I just thought it was like okay. Maybe it's just because like I'm a I'm a sucker for like a good vampire story, sure. and I just I watched this immediately after Standing Rights of Dracula, but like there was stuff about the Satanic Rights of Dracula that I was thinking about. Like today at work, when I should have been working, um, this movie left no impression on me. Huh. I just was bored the entire time. I didn't find uh, really any of it all that compelling. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just, it just, it just didn't do anything for me. Hmm. I just thought, I, th- I just thought it was a profoundly dull film. All right. For those of you who haven't seen it, the movie opens with a sort of classic Jack the Ripper scene. You know, the 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 crowds are hunting him down. Uh, the film suggests he's uh, you know a upper class gentleman, which you know th- that's one of the theories that's pretty popular. And his wife, he returns home while he's being chased, and his wife figures out that he's the Ripper, and so he kills her, and uh, then kisses his young daughter uh, goodbye. And then we fast forward and uh, we're introduced to a variety of uh, uh, upper class people who are exploring occultism, which was uh, pretty popular at the time in England to be interested in those sorts of topics. And uh, at this house of this uh, uh, psychic woman who clearly is just like a a, a carny uh, is the now grown daughter of Jack the Ripper, but she's been adopted. She doesn't really remember all that stuff. And uh, at a certain point, the her this woman who's supposed to be like her guardian basically sells her to this rich man for sexual pleasure. Hmm. And, and uh, when he goes in to kiss her, she has an episode. And instead of murdering him, murders her manipulative fake mom. Uh, and, and thus this story uh, sort of unfolds where – um, the police are investigating the murder. They assume it can't be her because she's a young girl who wouldn't have the strength. And she ends up in the custody of one of the men who was at the seance, not the one who was going to have sex with her. This local, uh, you know, no one calls him a psychiatrist. He is a doctor who's interested in the work of Freud, which is uh, which he doesn't really do much with. But that's sort of. But he idea. tells us every five minutes that he's yeah. a fan of this new, this uh, new method. To be fair, other people say it more than he does, but it does come up a lot. Uh, And so um, putting pieces together and realizing that he saw that the one guy was there, but he doesn't think that that guy did the murder, he realizes that something's going on with this young girl. I think her name is Anna, maybe? Um, That that somehow she's connected, and he's decided that it's his scientific duty to study her. And he's going to, through studying her, understand... Uh, the psychology of murder and whatever it is, right? And of course, uh, this is a film in which simply being related to, like, Jack the Ripper is not just some rich asshole who killed people, right? 
because of his evil, his deep evil as a killer, it's like he exists supernaturally. And so he's like possessing his daughter. He's, he's coming through her both spiritually and in her DNA such that whenever anyone is close to her, intimate, physically intimate with her, he takes over and her hands become the hands of the Ripper. Uh, and so she, you know, they become, what do they become? The hands of the Ripper. And so, uh, you know, the movie sort of plods along as he he keeps like not turning her in and keeps downplaying how dangerous she is as she slowly murders her way across London. And then finally, when he sees it for himself, he has to admit that her hands become the hands of the Ripper. And um, (laughs) he he realizes that when she is in a very precarious position with his uh, his future daughter in law, who is blind. And, uh, and you know, might get murdered by this psychologically confused girl. So for me, uh, there's a lot of things here I like. One, I actually like the periodness of it. They're, they're going out of their way to really make sure you know what time period it is, including at one point Anna, uh, again, I think that's her name. I could be wrong, uh, getting lost on whatever the the street is where all the sex workers hang out and all these ridiculous cockney stereotypes of it's women so amazing. on the street just yelling at her oh you better get out of here it's my territory <laughs> it's so fucked i love i love that um i love that this is so uh part of the thesis of us doing hammer for y'all i should have said this at the beginning i've always been a bit averse to hammer horror films because i've assumed that they were boring just from afar. Like these are boring movies and I'm not saying that none of them are. I've seen a couple that, that have been boring, but the more I've seen recently, I've realized that that's not a universal truth that over time hammer tried to adjust to what the trends were, but they tried to do it in the hammer way. So randomly insert hippies to fuck, you know, or randomly uh, have excuses for nudity or like, you know, a film in which everything is very calm, suddenly gets very gory or gets really upsetting. I think a good example is we talked about or earlier, uh, Quater Mass in the Pit, right? Great movie. Yeah, but that on every level is a stodgy made-for-TV sci-fi movie until it's not, and it gets very upsetting. And like yep. that's I think that's the hammer thing. Once you get into the later 60s and on through the 70s, these hammer movies catch you off fucking guard. Now, is Hands of the Ripper the best example of that? No. But there are definitely some surprising kills and surprisingly brutal kills. When she stabs that one girl in the neck, I had a no, you know, like, you know, she's going to do something, but it's like way more intense than what I was expecting. Um, but for this movie, I will say, unlike the Satanic Rites of Dracula, which we're going to talk about next, uh, I will say that some of what appealed to me about this movie is the kind of hammer stereotypes of it all that, you know, it's about this clearly sexually repressed doctor who is barely able to keep himself from just humping this, you know, underage girl, the whole movie. Like he's like being protective of her, but it's so clear that they want you to think that he actually has, you know, a boner. Yeah. For her. And it's like the, the fucking guy, like the dude who like was going to fuck her because she was a virgin. Um, that guy was such a goddamn character. I don't like, yeah, I just like the scene where he's being inter- interrogated by the cops and they're like, you were the last person in there. Did you see who killed her? And he's like, like, even though he didn't, he still is like, if I saw the way that guy was acting, like that guy, that guy's fucking guilty. And it was just so, and then of course the good doctor has to swoop in and be like, Oh no, 
his car was blocking that, you know, like it just, uh, there's just, it was just like one of those things about that movie where I was like, what are they, is this like a half-ass attempt at like a red herring? Because like, we know he didn't do it. This is fucking dumb. Why are they making him look guilty? Well, I think they're just setting up why he would go along with what the doctor has planned because there's no other viable suspect at this point. So the, the, the doctor really has that man's hand, you know, fate in his hands, even though the whole movie, the guy's like, that girl is evil. Like you need to get rid of her. She's clearly bad. And he's just like, no, no, no. Ha ha. Well, that's nonsense. And, and you know, it's one of those, for me, one of the things I found so amusing about it is it's one of those classic, like, uh, you know, the, the, the doctor isn't a bad dude. He's just so scientific. He's bound to fail. And that's yeah. like that's a theme in a, in a lot of Hammer Horror movies that like everything in the movies made it clear that something uh, unnatural is going on. But there's this one character who's like, no, 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 sh- surely not. I mean, basically, this the doctor is basically like the uh, commander in Quatermass who like the aliens are there. The ship is there. And he's like, well, it's a Russian psyop or it's a, yeah, you know, it's it's the, a German the psyop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just like, you got to be fucking kidding. Like nothing you're saying makes they sense. They literally pulled in like giant alien insects out of there. And he's like, yeah. There's the that's yeah. that's this dude. He just keeps thinking like, no, 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 no. I'll just keep like kind of hiding her murders around London until I understand her psychology. And it's fine. It's certainly not that she literally becomes her father and murders people. That's crazy. And like the audience, you're already sold. Like I was sold immediately that that's what was going on. They show you on her first kill. They show you the hands. So you already know what the, the name of the movie is, what's literally going on. But uh, <laughs> but they, you know, he's got to take forever to get. I love it. I think this is a classic example of, um, and this only happens sometimes, but sometimes the things I like about a movie are the things that you don't like about a movie. So, like, I love how the movie is both lascivious and repressed, right? It's, it's trying to represent these repressed... 1800s characters right but still have you know it's filled with uh these uh various sex workers all suggesting various uh you know uh 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 lascivious things but they're you know they're the bad people quote unquote but they're actually like more relatable than any of the main characters and then the main character he's so noble and scientific but like you suspect the whole time he's just as into her like all that's all that sort of um uh, barely concealed, you know, that, that England is both repressed and horny at the same time. It's yeah. sort of what's going on in the film. I loved all of that. All of that kept me sort of wrapped up in it. Um, the weirdness, like the, the how weirdly uncomfortable this doctor is, this man of science, with the fact that his future daughter-in-law is blind, as if that's like a, a totally insane thing. She can't see, Justin. She can't see like that's like a huge weight on his shoulders ridiculous ridiculous and and clearly the movie wants you to think that like they want you to be like this dude's kind of a dick but also you know he's like the guy we're following and we're watching his fucking uh hubris unfold i was wrapped into all that now um 
unlike Satanic Rites of Dracula, which we'll get to in a sec, there wasn't much there to make me sort of appreciate it on its own level. There's more in it that I find just silly and fun, you know? And there's only a couple of moments where I was like, oh, okay, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, whereas Satanic Rites of Dracula, man, whew, we'll get to that in a sec. Um, so I, I'm not surprised that you didn't love it, but for me, there's just something, and, and you know, maybe I'm being a bit too ironic here, but I think for folks who like a certain kind of like a, a, a horny period piece, I think <laughs> I think uh, I think Hands of the Ripper sort of fits the bill without being too serious, right? Like nothing in it is serious, and there's no actual, uh, no one's actually getting it on in the movie. Really, it's all. It, you know, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, sort of stuff, and and I kind of found that charming. I can fuck with that, but yeah, I, I mean, I'll agree. It's not no part of it is scary, and if you're not amused by some of the silly stuff in it, it could get boring. You know, I, there, there's a lot of talk. It's a lot of talking by very uptight British people, and sometimes that gets on my nerves. But in this case, I think there was enough other in there that it sort of kept me going. But I will say. It certainly doesn't compare to our other movie. And, and let's be clear, folks. Uh, I chose this movie. Justin chose Satanic Rites of Dracula. And I got to say, Justin, I think you made a much better choice. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about the Satanic Rites of Dracula? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, suffice it to say, I say, if if I say, hey, y'all, you should check out this stodgy Hammer Horror film, and you're not immediately turned off, I think Hands of the Ripper fits the bill. But if you're looking for the darker side or the more intense side of Hammer, Hands of the Ripper does not fit the bill. No, it's definitely a um, a slow burn, as they say. Sure, sure. But but it doesn't build any tension. There's no tension no. the whole movie. No. So we're going to take a quick break and when we come back. We're going to talk about 1970 flabbity-doo, 73s. The Satanic Rites of Dracula, also known as, um, oh shit, Dracula's Evil Bride or whatever. Is that right? Uh, I'm sorry. It was, it was, it was, uh, yeah, because it was re- released in America as Count Dracula and his Vampire Bride. Oh. So we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to talk about the Satanic Rites of Dracula. Does he even have an evil bride in it? I mean, he has a couple women chained up to a fucking in a casket in the basement. Yeah, those aren't his brides. No, they're just like his, you know, his sex objects. Yeah. He's canceled. Yeah, he is canceled. Dracula. The worst. Yeah. Welcome to Cancelvania, Dracula. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, we'll be right back. It's happening right now in London. New York could be next. Or Paris, or Rome, or Tokyo. It's happening right now to this girl. Perhaps it's your turn next. We are not dealing with ordinary criminals. The real force. It's more sinister, more obscene than any monstrosity you can think of. Lord of corruption, master of the undead. Count Dracula. Nothing 
Nothing is too vile. Nothing is too dreadful. You need to know the terror, the horror. What you want, Count Dracula. A last blaze of utter horror and violence, ghastly annihilation of an entire planet. Is this your own death wish? I call upon you to witness my supreme trial. And we are back to talk about 1973's The Satanic Rites of Dracula. Uh, interestingly enough, this is the third film to star of motherfucking Peter Cushing as Van Helsing and Christopher Lee as Dracula. So um, this is also his, uh, this was the final Christopher Lee Dracula, John. That's crazy, actually. I knew I knew it was later in the series, but I didn't realize it was the last one. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. I this is all cards on the table. Um, I've only seen one other Christopher Lee Dracula, John. I think it's called like the Horror of Dracula. Uh, I know that's one of them. Yeah. Does this or no? Yeah, the horror of Dracula. This is is this the one that hang in a second. Let me see. Okay. Cause this has like ties in loosely with the other uh the other yeah, Dracula. The other film they did was Dracula. This is a sequel to uh Dracula AD nineteen seventy, which is a horrifyingly clumsy title. A.D. 1972. Right. Yes. Anyway. um, So, yeah, this is the third. uh, This is the third movie that Peter Cushing did as Van Helsing with Dracula as Christopher Lee. Um, He also did 1966's Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Who? Christopher Lee? Uh Uh-huh. And then he did Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, Taste the Blood of Dracula, Scars of Dracula, and then Dracula A.D. 1972. Interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Taste the Blood of Dracula is such a fucking awesome. Wasn't there wasn't there a band on like 31G that had a Dracula related name? Oh, I don't remember. Uh, probably, though. OK, I'm going to have to look into that when I'm not doing a fucking podcast. <laughs> um, 
no, I really like this movie. I think it had a really neat touch of like, um, uh, it felt almost like a Robert Ludlum novel at times, like a days of the condor thing. Like there's a big conspiracy. Um, and I mean, I will say, yeah, it's playing off of one of the themes of seventies British horror, which is like, uh, rich people who are secretly Satanists, you know? Yes. Just squishing that together with Dracula. Just watching this movie and seeing their idea of a satanic ritual is almost laughable because it's like, I grew up in the tail end of the satanic panic. So it's like all this shit is just a fucking stupid joke to me. It just seems like Anton LaVey style cosplay. And I think I've talked about it here before. Like I'm not a big fan of the devil, Satan, like being like when it comes to summoning things and making virgin sacrifices, give me like weird Lovecraftian shit any day of the week over the devil. It's just so fucking laughable. Um, But then like, this movie is so goofy because they're like talking about this, like uh, these, there's they're these, these fucking rich British guys in power. And they're like, Oh, and then they're under the, the guy's name is like DD denim. And I was like, Oh, I wonder, I wonder who that is. I'm like, I, I, I wonder who fucking DD denim, they might as well just call him Dr. Like Alucard, like from <laughs> the fucking monster squad. Um, but I mean, going with the satanic panic thing, like it, it, it had like a touch of that like goofiness, but it also had a touch of the um, they're getting away with it because they're the ones who are actually in power. Like, well, and there's also science too that Dracula is uh, employing science. He's employing power. He's employing politics, and he's employing science offer his nefarious terms. And and also the movie very much suggests that the whole satanic rights thing is a work that, that Dracula doesn't give a shit about Satan. He's just no, fucking no. manipulating these motherfuckers. And, and, and w- it, the thing is, is there's that weird tragedy of like, has Dracula grown tired of life? And it's like, that really sucks. Like I didn't really see that coming. And now I'm kind of depressed because the if, whole thing is he wants to wipe out the planet with, with the fucking captain trips. Yeah. I, I guess we didn't really say. So basically there's a, uh, a dude escapes from a satanic cult. So the, and, and the government has some idea that some of the people involved in that cult are very powerful. So they have to uh, investigate it secretly. And so they get a, a police officer who I suspect is probably in one of these other Dracula films. Maybe, I don't know. And that police officer knows Van Helsing who comes in and helps with the investigation. And over time, Van Helsing becomes more and more, sort of suspicious that maybe there's something vampiric going on. Because he's then, Van Helsing and he sees vampires fucking everywhere. Yeah, but then when they go to investigate one of the houses, bada bing, bada boom, basement full of vampires. And What so, kind of vampires? What kind of vampires are they? Lady vampires. They're the fucking vampire brides of Dracula. But they're all chained up, which makes me feel like it's, it's weird. It's a little weird. It's um, a little horny. It's yeah. a little horny. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and the movie sort of, sort of goes on from there. And what I will say is... It, it, one of the things I liked about this movie is there's as much like henchmen with sniper rifles or some machine guns I as there it. are actual Dracula things. And I love that. I mean, we, we've talked about this before, but maybe for new listeners, you know, that kind of 70s and 80s era um, conspiracy theory, you know, like like uh, various levels of henchmen or uh, agents or 
followers of a cult leader and they, they've got sunglasses on and they've got some machine guns and they're coming out of they the fucking, woods. That guy fucking looked like an extra from the beastie from the sabotage video. I fucking yes, love it. Yes, 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 yes. But the idea that like they're investigating a house where they're pretty sure they're vampires. So they're not expecting someone to shoot them from afar, but that's what they get is shot by cult members. Fucking brilliant. Fucking brilliant. It made me feel like I would love a whole fucking series set in the 70s that was like secret agent Van Helsing. You know what I mean? Like there's a a whole world of Dracula's and other uh, nefarious creatures, but they're part of the power structure. So secret agent Van Helsing, he doesn't have to be called Van Helsing, but uh, you know, secret agent guy, he, he goes on the, you know, a James Bond style international whatever, but it's to like kill vampires. That would be fucking sick. Yo, they should make a movie about Van Helsing where he goes to Romania to save a family who's been cursed by the, oh wait, they, they did that. Stop. No, I'm, I'm just fucking with you. No, I'm with you. If there was like, okay, if there was like a spaghetti style James Bond series of films sure. yeah, yeah. about secret agent of like, I don't know, the Vatican or some other thing, the fucking BPRD, like. Sure. But without, you know what I mean? I, but, but I, it would be interesting to do that without. You know, the BPRD is really great, but it's, you know, they work partly because of all the, you know, powerful agents. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what would it be if it was like actually a secret agent dude? You know what I mean? Like uh, like a guy, like I said, like Van, like that's what's so interesting about Van Helsing is he knows all this stuff, but he's just some guy, you know? And that's, I mean, in this movie, Peter Cushing, besides just being great, he never stops smoking. He's basically a man who can't stop smoking. And who just happens to know about Dracula stuff. He doesn't have any like special skills per se. He's just like not willing to fuck around with Dracula. Yeah, I love the scene when 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 it's revealed who this denim guy is when he's in the office with the fucking the, the light by his desk. And you're like, that's uh that's Chris it's Christopher Lee. Yeah. Like, how is that not like? How does this guy fucking not know that that's Dracula? Well, I mean, the first reveal of Christopher Lee in the movie, there's been no vampire stuff a, a good chunk into the film, and then you know there's a secretary who has been uh, taken by agents, right? And she's in a room, yes. and then all of a sudden there's just fog on the other side of a door, and the door opens, and there's Christopher so Lee's Dracula, and it's magical. It's so good. Oh man, I mean that's I mean look. Let's let's talk about some of the very specific elements here. I like the shaggy hair cop, who's like the more realistic one. We've got the uptight M M you know MI six agent basically, and then he reaches out to the Scotland Yard guy. The Scotland Yard guy is great. He just looks like a dude who probably used to smoke weed, and now he's in Scotland Yard. You know what I mean? And yeah, then he he he's the guy that looks like um what's his face and the original omen the guy who gets his fucking head cut off right. the photographer yes yes, yes it's yes. that specific british haircut that he's got going on mm-hmm. and then uh cushing is van helsing it's not the kind of van helsing where he just runs around frothing at the mouth being like oh, i must kill dracula you know there's there's a there's a version of van helsing where he just seems like a psychopath like even in the light of how bad dracula is you're like all right come on you got to calm down man like You've yeah. got you've got some issues. This is a much more rational Van Helsing. Uh, and then um, 
the idea, I mean, and of course, Christopher Lee is Dracula. There's nothing to say there. He's amazing. But I think all of the weird cult members are great. And especially, I loved the politicians who he eventually turns on. They're oh, my so, God. They're so fucking clueless. They're so clue. I thought this was just a blackmail. I thought we were just going to blackmail them with it. So what we haven't actually said out loud yet is, uh, you know, Dracula has created this satanic cabal of very powerful people all with the plan of making the black plague, but it's like the irradiated black plague. So it's like three times as strong and he's just going to let it loose and fuck everybody. And these white dudes are like old white dudes are like, I thought we were going to blackmail the world's nations for more money. What the fuck does Dracula need with money? Come on. Yeah. Like as you can trust as- the Dracula. You can trust the Dracula. Like the idea that here's an immortal vampire, right? He's lived for thousands of years and he contacts you and he's like, why don't we create a plague so we can get some money? What the fuck? I love, I love that. I thought that was great. Uh, I love the various, you know, hench people were fun. Uh, But ultimately for me and, you know, spoiler alert for y'all, the idea that if I, if I'm Dracula, right? I, I would think of, I would have a list in my head at all times of the various things that could kill my ass, right? I would yes. know. I would know because it's a short list. It, think, think of it like this. I have an allergy, right? I can eat a lot of foods, but if I eat fish, I'm fucked. So, like, I try pretty hard to avoid fish. I feel like I have a general idea, at least, of how to avoid fish. You think Dracula's like, yeah, steak to the heart, silver bullet to the heart, or uh, these random thorns that grow in the woods near my house. If I got those thorns, man, oh, shit, that would really fuck me up. And he just walks into the thorns. It's... It it would be silly if they don't... I mean, they fucking sell it because it's you know, uh, it's Christopher Lee. Yeah, exactly. But also like you kind of suspect like, Oh, is he actually, su- is Dracula actually suicidal? It really starts to feel like maybe he really is like, just like not into it anymore. And yeah, whew, it, it was, it's a crazy scene, but just also, it's one of those things that they rattle off in a horror movie where I go, come on, no one's ever said that before. No one's ever said also, uh, these thorns can kill a vampire because actually, Oh, come actually, on. Where, where actually, is that from? Actually, give me just one moment. You're looking it up? I've, I've never heard it before, but. Folklore of the. Serbian folklore that spread across the Balkans note that Hawthorne is essential to kill vampires and stakes used for their slaying must be made from the wood of the thorn tree. Because of the crown of thorns on Jesus's head, probably some some reason like that. But wouldn't then dogwood also be? Because wasn't that what 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 his with a capital H cross was made from? I mean, honestly, I don't. All of it just sounds like crazy hootie hoo to me. Okay, Liam, what do we know? Let's break down what we know. Vampires are afraid of silver because of Judas Iscariot. Okay. <sighs> Vampires are afraid of sunlight because the people who made Nosferatu couldn't think of a good way to end Nosferatu, so they made him disappear in the sun. Vampires are afraid of the Hawthorne thorns because of uh, Serbia, (laughs) which didn't exist until when vamp... I don't know. 
It's not important. I've heard that they're afraid of thorns, though. Well, apparently they need to be really afraid of them because uh, he dies. That's it for Dracula, this immortal beast of darkness. He gets he gets a really bad scrape from a thorn. He gets caught in the thorns, and that's it. That's it for him. And uh, again, in a lesser movie, that would be a letdown. They fucking sell it, man. It's like kind of a super climactic ending, considering it's literally the immortal monster gets caught in a thorny bush and dies. Yeah, well, he doesn't just die, okay? He gets he gets caught in the bushes, crawls out of them, weakened like a baby, and then lays on the ground, mewling pitifully, as Van Helsing struts over with a fucking fence post and just stabs him to death. It's yes, fucking yes. amazing. It's really and good. It's so good. Because he just doesn't, like, stab him, and he's not like, ah, fuck, I'm dead. It's like, he's like, and, like, he like melts and he turns into a skeleton and it's fucking it's super cool. I'm just picturing this meeting where Dracula's meeting with his the person helping him set up this satanic cult. And he's like, all right, so we need a big villa with a wall in the woods. Yeah, okay, we got that. And I need a basement where we chain up the female vampires because I got to chain them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, we got that. And we need a big room, uh, you know, bigger than a living room, like a, like a really big meeting room where we can like do the satanic rituals that we need to do. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, and then also in the surrounding area, could you just do me a favor? Go around and just like tear up any Hawthorne that might be there, just in case. Because I don't know if you know this, but Hawthorne fucks my shit up. I just feel like that could have been part of the conversation, right? No, it, it it's that is how fucking Salem's lot opens up. Yeah, Straker yeah. comes to town and gets rid of all the roses. He kills a dog to keep it from scaring away Barlow. Like that's what I mean. Say what you will about Thirty Days of Night, but um. What's his, who was the guy in, uh, Ben, Ben, what's the actor's name? Right. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Like the whole, the fucking, the Renfield guy goes in there and he does all the shit. Like any good familiar for a vampire is supposed to do their fucking job and make sure that their master can't be hurt by all the bullshit. <laughs> well, I mean, look. Before this whole thorn thing, I mean, we got a bunch of fire at the house. There's all kinds of action. A dude melts, basically. He gets infected with the Black Plague, and it's gruesome. It's it's a great movie, man. Like, I, you know, I could easily describe it as having a bit of a slow start, like after the initial, like, satanic ceremony and then uh, machine gun fire. It does slow down a teeny bit, but I found it super engaging top to bottom. Just, just you know, fun. And there's a there's a you know sort of seventies vibe. And and like we we've sort of said already, this the combination of the investigation of it all with the uh, you know rich people satanic cult of it. It just adds a different dimension to a Dracula film, but still works. And then when, you know, Christopher Lee is strutting his thing, it just, you know, I don't know. I just, it, it's one of my most enjoyable Dracula films I've seen, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely, um, it's definitely better than the fucking, um, Oh God! What was the? There's another Dracula movie that Bruno Mattei was involved with. Oh man, I have no idea. I think Christopher Lee was in that one too. Oh wow! 
But I think it was like I I, I don't think it was for Hammer. I think it was only because like they dumped a fucking boatload of money on him, and he's like, fine, fuck it, I'll do it. Did he also? I don't know that I should know this, but I've never seen it. Did he also play Dracula for the Seven Golden Vampires for uh, Shaw? Christopher Lee? Yeah. Uh, I'm honestly not sure. Let me look it up real quick. I don't know. He might not have, but I wasn't. I'm not sure. I've never gotten to see it. Oh, you know what you're thinking of? Yeah. Um, you're thinking of Count Dooku in uh, Star Wars. Uh, it's a common mistake. No, I was thinking of Saruman. Yeah, from Star Wars. <laughs> uh, seven Golden Draculas? Yeah. No, is that what it's called? Uh, it might just be Seven Golden Vampires. I wish it was called Seven Golden Draculas. The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Now, that was played by... Uh, Peter Cushing is in that movie, though. Oh, okay. Interesting. John John Forbes Robinson uh, plays Dracula, who was another... He was another uh, Hammer Dracula. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm glad we did this Hammer episode. And I think that, you know, there's just something about, don't get me wrong. I need to, I'm pretty ignorant of the Hammer Dracula film. So maybe it was a bad idea to start at the end like this. But, uh, but I really like these two. Although, um, I've seen a couple of the uh, Peter Cushing as uh, Frankenstein movies, and those are really fun. So yes, um, but yeah, I, I need to give more time to these Dracula movies. I know they're not all going to be great, but this was a lot of fun, and I'm glad we watched it. Absolutely, yeah. I was not nuts about um, Hands of the Ripper, but the Satanic Rites of Dracula, um, yeah, it was. <sighs> this isn't like a backhanded compliment because not only was it better than I thought it was going to be, it was like a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I hear that. I mean, I was excited to watch it. I thought it was going to be good, but I thought it was really good. And it was, you know, it's, it's pretty high up there now for my list of uh, hammer movies. I like, but again, as much as I have been giving them more time recently, I still feel pretty ignorant. You know, they put out a lot of stuff. And so I'm, I'm hoping to dig further into, to uh, uh, their catalog. Yeah, mayhaps in the future we'll do another Hammer Horror episode. Who knows? We could do uh, Flesh for Frankenstein or something. Ooh, and fucking no, no, no. That's not, I'm thinking. That's the that's the, the Andy Warhol John. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, Frankenstein Made Woman. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, we could. No, we should do the fucking Udo Kier Dracula. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, Hands of the Ripper and the Satanic Rites of Dracula. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Um, you can head to cinepunks.com for more episodes of this podcast and several other fucking great podcasts like Liam's own Cinepunks and the previously mentioned Twitch of the Death Nerve, which, Liam, uh, did you know that that's what Bay of Blood was called? <sighs> Have you seen Bay of Blood? It's a giallo. Do you know what a giallo is? Oh, my God. Have you seen a giallo? Oh, man. I'm just going to be quiet. Okay. Good, good idea. It won't help you, but good idea. <laughs> Twitch of the Death Nerve is great. All the podcasts are fucking great. There's a lot of good, there's writing on there. I don't know. If you want to become a patron, go to head, go to head to, holy fuck, 
head to patreon.com backslash cinepunks and smash that MF and subscribe button. Be sure to check out Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations and Essex Coffee Roasters at www.xlvacx.com and essexcoffeeroasters.com respectively. And um, until next time, uh, stay mad at the world. All right. I guess. That works. Cool. Peace. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! Hey!